On this episode of The Watchman's Soul, we have a roundtable discussion with some college students uh, that are part of our uh, ministry here at Dolphin Way Baptist Church, part of uh, South Alabama. As always, we have our MC, Michael Cole, uh, running the show over there, making us sound good. Michael's going to be much more part of the discussion. It's been interesting to hear uh, in getting feedback. People want the MC to talk more, so uh, today is the day. I'll try my best. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Jonathan, Donovan, and Noah. Say what's up, guys. So, what's up? How's it so, going? Good to be here. Blessed to be here, yes. Yeah, glad to be here. I'll tell you what, give a brief introduction of yourself, your name, what year you are uh, in school, and your major. How about that? <laughs> All right. Um, I'm Jonathan. Uh, I'm a senior and some change. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I study biology at South. I'm um, Donovan. I am actually, I graduated from South in May, and I'm now at the medical school. So I'm a first year medical student at uh, the College of Medicine at South. Uh, so I, I really love school, basically, because yeah. I got four more yeah. years of it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> got some smart guys here. Some smart well, guys. And then we get to know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Noah. I'm a senior at South Alabama, and my major is interdisciplinary studies. All right. And then, Michael, you've never really formally introduced yourself, man. Um, I'm Michael. Um, a senior in some change at South <laughs> Alabama, and my major is exercise science. All right. Yeah. So we've got some sharp guys, some uh, some tenured guys. We'll we'll say that some tenured guys in college. Um, some guys that are thoughtful have some good questions. Our intention behind this is it's one thing for me to just uh, just talk, and sometimes. The danger of that is that uh, it just becomes theory uh, and we're not able to apply it. So what we want to do on a regular basis is bring in these guys, bring in some others, uh, and we want to talk through theology, philosophy of life, what's going on in in our uh, current culture, some of the cultural climate issues that are happening, uh, and then approach them with a biblical worldview and, uh, as I say, put legs on them, meaning it's not... It's not helpful to us if we just have theological theory. We want to be able to uh, put into practice what God calls us to do. So that's the intention behind this. Um, It's pretty laid-back format. Uh, We're going to open it up. Uh, Guys are going to ask questions. It's always weird. You get asked a question, uh, and and when you open it up wide open, it's kind of like, hey, I can answer anything. (laughs) That is certainly not true, Uh, and it's always uh, dangerous territory to go in, but... I am not afraid to say I don't know, and we'll have to revisit that uh, so we can do that. But we want to, uh, at least, the goal in all of this is that sometimes we don't have a clear-cut answer, um, but we want to have biblical and clear approaches and paths to get answers. Um, I would submit to you, and then I'll stop talking and we'll open it up for answers, that far too often we're only concerned about getting an answer to our question instead of getting a good process that we can uh, go about as we answer all of our questions in life. So, with that said, we'll open it up. Guys, what you got? Let's go uh, one at a time. All right. So everybody can at least get one in at a time. Ask all my questions? No. No, just go one at a time. Okay, all right. Yeah. So do y'all want to do the dating one? Yeah, yeah, we can. Oh, I feel like yours was uh, <coughs> was relevant, and then 
we just go kind of go. All right. All right. So my first question is, um, so in a dating relationship, specifically a, a Christian dating relationship, um, how does a man not cross a line of leading his girlfriend or maybe fiance spiritually as a, as a husband would? And what does that leadership look like in dating? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's an appropriate question. It is. Um, you know, when I first started talking about dating, um, of course, I knew everything about everything. Uh, and, you know, it's like everything else. The more you think through it, process it, and especially go back to the Word, um, you're reminded of some things that it's very easy to skip over. Like, scripturally, um, a husband is to lead his wife, is to uh, love his wife as Christ loved the church, and is to lead her. And so the danger for us is to assume a role as a husband when we're not in that role. Mm -hmm. An easy application of that is it's obviously wrong for a man and a woman to have sex before they're married. It's obviously not wrong for that same man and woman to have sex after they're married. So the role uh, changes everything. The danger that I've found uh, especially for Christian couples. Man, they're really trying to honor the Lord. And it's a danger, but it also helps us to see the beauty of how God has wired us and how God has created us. Uh, I would submit to you that the, spirit, the, more, the closer you grow spiritually, the more you have a desire for each other physically. And so the danger that I've seen is, man, in some of the most holy and spiritual moments as a couple— you can desire each other more uh, than just a, a, a common, you know, watching a movie or something together. It's when you're having spiritual conversations. It's when you're praying together that all of a sudden you really desire that person in an unholy and ungodly way. I'm talking, obviously, when you're not married. And when you think about that, uh, you know, initially you want to say, well, man, that really stinks. But I would say, no, it doesn't stink because... God didn't create us only for the dating relationship. That's not the priority. That's not primary. God created us for marriage. And so the beautiful thing about that is the closer a man and a woman grow together spiritually, the more they desire each other physically, which is perfect in a marriage. That's actually what you want. So the danger for dating uh, is that you want to obviously make sure that you are uh, approaching the relationship spiritually. The man has to be very careful um, that he is not fulfilling the role that he's not currently been given by God yet, which is the husband. And so, yeah, I, I think men always, and I, and I would say this to all men, men always need to be leading the women around us, which means we need to be leading them towards godliness. We know that means living out a godly life and them seeing it in us. I think one of the best things for our women, especially those who aren't married, is for them to look at the, at the guys around them that aren't married and outside the context of dating, see a bunch of godly dudes living for the Lord, and then those women are looking at those dudes saying, that's the kind of guy I want to marry. It might not be that guy, but I want to marry a guy like that. And so we begin to set a pattern in their lives for the type of person, the type of husband that they want, as opposed to, you know, the bad boy who's doing all this stupid, crazy stuff. 
they see godly dudes and they say, that's who I want to be with. And so that's a win all the way around, especially for their future husband. Uh, So I would say in the same way that we draw clear and consistent physical boundary lines, there need to be some clear spiritual boundary lines. All right? So we go to Scripture, right? And we treat them as a sister in Christ at that point. So what do we do with our sisters in Christ? We're careful, and we're always protective. We're protective of their hearts. We're protective of their bodies. We're protective of their minds. We pray with them. We'll speak godly truths and godly wisdom into their life. But, but we have to be very careful of how much wisdom and how much truth that we're speaking into them, the level that we go, um, because we're guarding their hearts. Yeah, it's one thing, and we certainly need to talk about how the spiritual inevitably overflows into the emotional and the physical. But uh, I would say that the greater possible damage, especially in a woman's life, is to damage her heart, to damage her emotions moving forward. And so we need to guard, protect, treat them as sisters in Christ. Uh, We need to live a godly life. Yeah, pray with them. Uh, read the word with them. Uh, and a lot of it, to be honest with you, it depends on the couple. You know, when we talk about, uh, when, I, when I do student things, I have been doing them for, for years, uh, in doing Q&A, inevitably half of the questions are asking the question, how far is too far? They just ask it in a different way. And I, there's, I don't think there's a clear-cut answer to this. And, and this is why I say that. Physically, we know how far is too far when your body is preparing itself to do something that it shouldn't be doing, we'll leave it there, right? (laughs) There are physical reactions to the opposite sex in men and women. Uh, Sometimes that's holding hands. Sometimes that's being in the same room with them. Um, But you you need to be aware of that and protect yourself from going too far, right? So I would say spiritually, how far is too far is when you are uh, acting in a role that God hasn't given you. You're, you're living out as a husband when you ain't the husband. And so you've got to be very, very careful in that, uh, in your approach. Any follow-up questions on that? No, man. I think that answered it. Well, I mean, my follow-up question was going to be... Or thoughts, man. Give, give thoughts and feedback on it. Well, well like I was saying, my follow-up question was going to be, um, you know, how early... Should a godly man set boundaries in his relationship with a godly woman? And you kind of touched on that. And then my follow-up question to that was going to be, you know, what should that look like? Uh, but yeah, just just talk about just you know how early should that be? Should it be first date type thing, or should it be you know once you get to know each other, you know, you start dating, then you talk about these boundaries. Mm-hmm. So when you say when you mean set the boundaries, do you mean having the discussion of boundaries? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it probably. Depends. So what I encourage folks to do uh, as they approach dating, and y'all have to, it's been a while since I've dated, so uh, I don't even know when we use the term dating now. I, honestly, I don't know. I'm assuming there are probably levels to that. Uh, there's the talking. I'm t- we're talking, <laughs> yeah. you know, which is not dating. Right. And then you kind of move into the, a, a lighter level of dating, into the, the heavier level of dating. Um. What, what I want to encourage folks to do, I, I got this from something that was written probably 20 years ago by a guy named Chip Ingram uh, called Love, Sex, and Lasting Relationships. 
And he made an incredible point. He said that often, you know, we go on this first date and we go to a place that we can't even talk. And we go to a place uh, that we're, we're really just, we're putting on a mask and trying to impress each other. Uh, and he recommended, and I wholeheartedly agree with this, that I think you should begin your relationship for several reasons, but I think you should begin your relationship with friends. And here's why. I think this is probably the best reason. It protects you, but it cuts through a lot of the games. So let's say, um, you know, let's say Noah here uh, is, he, he's interested in a girl and uh, he wants to really, he wants to see how, what she's like and get to know her. The best way to do that, and the same for her, right? She wants to get to know Noah. The best way for them to do that is to see them interact with each other as they interact with their friends, and this is why. Because if Noah acts like a phony in front of her, his boys are going to call him out. He's, he true. can't get away with <laughs> acting like a phony. He can't get away with playing a game. And the same for her. She cannot get away with playing the game because if she does, her friends are going to be like, well, who are you? What are you trying to do? All right? And I think we've probably all been there. Um, I, when I was playing ball, there was a guy. I, I distinctly remember this guy. You know, he would be talking so hardcore, man. He's hard, and I, he'll, I'll do this, and I'll do this. His phone would ring. It would be his girlfriend. His voice would go up five octaves. Like, hey, baby, how you doing? <laughs> you doing okay? And we would laugh at it. And, and it's this aspect of calling each other out. When we're around our friends, if they're good friends, they don't let us get away with being fake. I think a large problem in dating is that it takes so long to get to know each other because we're playing games. Right. We're trying to act like somebody that we're not. And when we get in these social circles uh, where people genuinely know us, we don't have that ability to get away with being fake. And so I think that that feeds into this. And you get to know each other, and you get to see if we're compatible. You see who they really are, and they see who you really are. And it, I would say it speeds up uh, the ability to go deep in a relationship. It speeds it up dramatically because you're not playing games. And then I would say move out of that and have a genuine conversation early on okay. about the things that are most important. I don't know why we push that back so far. Right. But the thing that's most important in your life is your faith. Why would we not lead with that? And and with that is this is my approach to dating. I'm not dating just to have fun. I'm dating with a purpose. And that purpose is, and we want them to know, we're dating because I want to know if you are to be my wife, if you're marriage material. And... I live a certain way. I have a certain ethical approach to life. And you need to know that. Because if you're not down with that, then you're not down with a lot of stuff. Right. So I would say early on, but I would push that individual conversation deeper um, after you've seen each other interacting in social circles. Does that okay. make sense? Yes, sir, it does. It does. Yes, I mean, Jonathan's question kind of hit on mine. But could you maybe touch a little more specifically on leading in a dating relationship versus marriage, maybe some more like practical things. Yeah. Um, it's, it's honestly tough to do. I think you want to include the word and prayer in your relationship. I think you need to pray together. Um, 
I think you need to be careful about. I mean, something practical is have something in between you while you're praying together. Mm. You know, like you don't need to be all, all hugged up praying because that goes back to what we were talking about. As you are spiritually bonding, and man, prayer is the most intimate spiritual thing we do, right? And so if we're engaging with the Father in an intimate way, and this other person is engaging with the Father in an intimate way alongside of us, well, you talk about some, some spiritual intimacy that is naturally going to urge you towards physical intimacy. A barrier helps out with that, just a, a physical barrier. You know, it's, it's like these other practical things, like obviously don't lay down with someone who's not your wife. That's just a recipe for disaster. Um, my wife and I have a rule where we're not, we're not in a room or we're not in a vehicle with someone of the opposite sex alone. Um, you know, the doors are open. If I'm in my office, my assistant's right there. Um, you know, we're just, we, don't, we don't want that option. I don't particularly worry about it. I love my wife. I have no desire. But I, we just need to remove any option whatsoever, right? Uh, and so within the dating relationship, especially as it pertains to spiritual things, I think you need to do some spiritual things together, pray, read the Bible, um, or maybe not, even if you don't read the Bible, talk about what God's doing in your life. Right. Those are good conversations. Mm -hmm. What's God been telling you in his word? That's a good conversation because that's the kind of conversation you can have with a sister in Christ. Right. We should, right? So I would say if it would be appropriate for a sister in Christ, then it's appropriate for the sister in Christ that you happen to be dating. Um, beyond that, I would say be careful because the danger of that is you're now moving into a, into a role of a husband uh, and it's not yours yet. Now, also one thing that I, I like about this approach is it makes you want to get married faster. Huh. Uh, the way that we date for incredibly long seasons and then we're engaged for incredibly long seasons, boy, it's, <laughs> I don't think it's helpful. Yeah. I don't think it's helpful. So if you're growing together spiritually, and I mean, you're, you're really genuinely desiring this person, but it's not just physical. It's there's, there's a spiritual barrier that the only way we can cross over that barrier and be free together spiritually is through marriage. And I want to be free with this girl spiritually. Uh, so it, it does. It speeds all of this up. I don't think that's dangerous um, because we know people who dated and lived together for a decade mm. and were married for less than six months and separated, right? Mm. So I don't think the time frame is the issue. You can, you can date in an ungodly and unwise way for a decade or you, and, and not know anything about each other and be completely unhealthy in a relationship. You can approach a relationship in a godly way in a month and know everything about this person and be ready to marry. The timing is not as important as the approach. that answer your question? I feel like I kind of go off on this rant, and I, then I wonder if I'm even answering the question. No, man, it's all good. It's all awesome. Um, I think I have a question. <clears throat> all right. It one of Jonathan's questions kind of <coughs> goes along with it, but um, it is 
what do you have to say to the guy who struggles with finding a girlfriend? And also, uh, one of his questions I asked at the end, um, did God create one woman specifically for me? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, bro. Good, man. I got more. I got yeah. more. Yeah. This, uh, this is kind of the question. Um, yeah. It's funny. When I was at seminary, we laughed about it. We have a lot of, obviously, we have a lot of theological discussions and and arguments at seminary. Uh, and I remember guys talking about in the single guys dorm. I, I was married when I moved down there to seminary. But they said the most heated argument they ever heard in seminary was over this question in the single guys dorm. <laughs> Is there one? Uh, so let me, let, I think it, as I answer that, it'll probably answer the first part. What do I have to say about the guy who's struggling to find a girlfriend? Yeah. Was that? Okay. Um, as far as the conversation on is there one, I don't – we're not having this conversation in the right way. Um, what I, I get really irritated, especially at Christians who say, well, there's not one. The reason that I get irritated is not because I philosophically disagree with them. It's because I don't think they're being honest, and I don't think they're approaching the issue from a Christian perspective. They're responding to the Lifetime movie – where this woman has, you know, she dated this guy in high school, and oh, they were in love. And then they went to college, and they broke up, and then she married some other guy. And while she's married to this guy, she realizes that the guy she dated in high school is the one. And so now she has to get rid of the guy who's not the one, be true to herself, and go to the one. Well, if you're a Christian who loves the Bible and wants to follow the Bible, you're going to reject that. That is ungodly and wrong. Uh, and But that shouldn't guide uh, our view of whether or not there's one or there's not. Uh, that's coming at it from a, a philosophical disagreement with a, a secular approach to marriage and dating. Of course we disagree with that. I think another way that we're dishonest on this uh, is that not only are we not approaching the question from a Christian worldview or a Christian perspective. Uh, but I think that in inherently this is a theological conversation. What I mean is we want to move it into the realm of a philosophical approach to dating where this is a theological conversation, meaning what we believe about God determines how we will answer this question. I also believe our problem is that we really... We want to be free to make our own decisions, and we want to be free to not deal with the consequences and to not have any accountability or responsibility for our decisions. We really want to be free to choose whomever we want, and if we choose wrongly, then we can blame God. Mm. But we don't want to live with the reality of what God calls us to as it pertains to all aspects of life, right? So my third problem with this conversation and our dishonesty about it is too many people approach this primarily from, but what about and but what if? But what if there is one and you marry the wrong one? What am I supposed to do then? Well, why do you start there? It would be like saying, what happens to the, how is one saved? And starting with, but what about the person who never hears about Jesus? 
Obviously, we'll get to that down the road, but we don't start with that. We start with who is God? What does God say? How does one be- uh, get into a relationship with God? And then we begin to deal with the but what abouts and the but what ifs. But people want to bring that up first. Um, to add to that conversation, I'll quote a guy named Josh Stewart. Shout out to Josh Stewart. I love how he put it. We need to talk about it as it pertains to dating. Uh, if you're married, and, and this is where, where Josh said his great line. He said, if you want to know who the one is and you're married, look at the other name on your marriage certificate. Mm, that's good. That's the one. And I love that because you're done having that debate. Mm-hmm. There's the one right there that you're married to. them. So you, you need to just get over this. And, and move beyond that, you are married to, quote-unquote, the one. So then when we, get it, when we get it out of kind of this, uh, I would say, this nebulous area, which is marriage, then we can talk about dating. All right, so then I would ask a few questions of a theological nature. My first question would be, um, does God care about your life? Yeah, yes, for sure. Of yes. course. We know that to be true, right? Definitely. All right, so the follow-up question would be, to what level does God care about your life? To what level does God care about your life? Dude, Matthew 6, man. He provides for the, the birds of the air and the plants that are on the ground. Yeah. So I think he he he, uh, he cares about everything else in our lives. He's, yeah. You know, so. He's an yeah. interested in all aspects of our life, not just parts. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, to what level we would say that God is very interested in the details of our lives. And see, I want to pause right here because this is where, and I've heard guys say this, and I, I really get frustrated at preachers and guys who are talking about this because they're not being honest. They're, they're not engaging this on a theological level. They're engaging with a straw man fallacy, and they'll say, they'll say, oh, well, I guess... Uh, God cares about what you get, where you're going to eat lunch. Well, number one, you're not really interested in having an honest conversation, if that's your comeback. You're just wanting to say that, I, that we're stupid for having this conversation so you don't have to have the debate. Secondly, I would answer that by saying I can anecdotally tell you a number of times that just in as we walk with God, God will give us conversations in a day uh, that as we walk with God, we experience, as we pray, for example, we pray at the beginning of the day, Lord, direct our steps. Lord, give us opportunities. And then all of a sudden, we, we go somewhere to eat lunch, and this waitress comes over, and we start talking, and we share Jesus with them. And I can't even tell you how many times I've heard, you know, I asked God today if he would, if he would just remind me that he loves me, if he would just tell me that he cares. Isn't it amazing that we want to say, oh, does God care about where you eat lunch? He sure has used where I eat lunch a lot, mm-hmm. so it seems that he cares about all manner and all details of our lives. All right, so if God cares about our life, to what level we would say he cares about the details, the greatest factor in our lives outside of our relationship with Jesus, the, the single greatest decision, the single greatest relationship is the one to whom we're married. There is nothing that will affect our lives beyond our relationship with Jesus more than the person to whom we're married. And so if, if we say that God cares about the clothes that we wear and the food that he gives us, Matthew 6, right? That he directs our steps. 
Are we then going to say that God is, is uninterested in who we marry? Or are we going to say that he just kind of says to us, uh, you know, just make the choice and I'll bless it. We know that's not true. We know that's not true. We believe that God, as we walk with God, he can lead us to a ministry. He can lead us to a church. I mean, the reality is, I would say to everybody, God's got a job for you. And what I mean is, it's clear that God has gifted you to do something. If God's gifted you to do something, then he wants you to do that. He wants you to apply yourself to that job, to that role, to that responsibility. And he will lead you to those practical ways to apply that. And he will give you these opportunities for jobs. If you follow him, he will lead you in these ways. Am I to then turn around and say, if you follow God and you give God your approach to dating and you give God your approach to life with the opposite sex, is he not going to lead you? Of course he will. All right. So then what does it look like for God to lead you? God wants you to have not just what's good, but he wants you to have what's best. Um, I've laughed at some people who say, well, you know, I, I feel like you can just make this decision on all the girls. And I want to say, number one, you don't have that many options. Let's just be honest. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. But it's not like you got 100 girls standing in front of you saying, please marry me, and you just get the option to pick one. Um, I think as we, as we look on the other side of marriage, and this is kind of the way that I would state it. I'm going around the world to say this. Even if we, we don't buy this line, and, and it's hard because it depends on who's saying and who's defining the one, I think we should approach dating and marriage as though God has one for us. Because what that means is it's incumbent upon me to walk with God. I need to walk with God. I need to pray. I need to seek the Lord. I need to seek God's will in every aspect of my life and trust that His way is best. And so let's just say that as I walk with God, there are like three girls out here. I still believe that one is best, and I believe God wants me to have the one that's best. And I think we should approach it that way because it would, it would mean the healthiest approach to dating, the healthiest approach to God, which would inevitably lead to the healthiest marriage, right? So if I believe that God wants to lead me even to this person that he's leading, He's leading her. He's leading me. And as I walk with God, he wants what's best for me. And he wants me to have a partner that brings out the best in me, and I bring out the best in her. And God knows who that is. And as I trust him and I submit to him and I walk with him, he's going to lead me to that person. He's going to lead her to me. That's when, oh, well, yeah, but what if you miss it? Well, walk with God and don't worry about that. Walk with God and don't worry about that. Trust the Lord and pray. I'm praying right now for my three kids' spouse. Praying right now for them. I've been praying for my kids' spouses since I was in my teens. Because I believe that as we all follow God, God will lead us to what is best. I don't mean what's easiest. I mean what's best. Why would we not? And that's a belief in God that I have that it just happens to apply to dating and to marriage. I believe we walk with God. God leads us to what is best. And I think we should apply that to dating. So there's a lot more I can say on that, or we'll probably do it along the way. But what, I'd love to hear y'all's perspective and questions if you have feedback questions on that. 
Well, I mean, for me, whenever you talked about how um, instead of focusing so much on uh, <coughs> the person, you focus more on your relationship with God. And I remember listening to a pastor. He was talking about dating, and he was saying, you know, uh, he, he was talking about how a lot of people will, will say, make a list. Make mm-hmm. a list of, of, you know, what you want in a woman or a man or whatever. And, and he was like, you know, instead of doing that, how about you be the list? How, how, yeah. about, you, how about you, you know, present your best Walk with God, um, you know, pray, read your Bible, and then, you know, you will attract or either he will lead you to a spouse who is, a, is on your level, you know. Mm-hmm. So, it's, and that kind of shifts the focus from uh, what I want, you know, what I'm looking for, and that, and it, it kind of shifts it back to, you know, what God wants and, like, kind of what I'm becoming as a godly man. Yeah. Um, looking for a godly woman, so, yeah. Yeah, I mentioned that Chip Ingram, uh, he had a model and he said, most of us are looking for the right person. What we need to do is become the right person. Right. And we, you know, we go through this cycle, and the cycle, you know, we begin this relationship. We look for the right person. Oh, we found the right person. We go through this process. Then we date, and then we start over with, oh, well, I'm looking for the right person. But think about that cycle. If we approach it from become the right person, then we're constantly growing in our relationship with God. Exactly. Growing to be a better person. And these relationships are actually beneficial to us and to that person because we're helping them to see, uh, hopefully, if we're becoming the right person and they're becoming the right person and we realize we're not compatible in that way, then we just help them to see the kind of person that they're not compatible with and the kind of person that they might be more compatible with. Mm -hmm. There's a healthier way to do what we've attempted to do. And... The problem is that we begin from kind of the human perspective of dating as opposed to, to just building this basic theological approach to life, including who is God, what is he concerned about, and how do I walk with God? And people say, oh, well, you know, you can't make a... I could actually make a biblical argument more for the one just by going to Genesis 24 and Isaac and Rebekah. In the occasion that Abraham, who's seeking the Lord, wants a, wants a godly and a good wife for his son, prays, fasts, sends his servant. His servant goes to the well, and God orchestrates it. Boom, just like that. Um, it, it would be easy for us to look in Scripture and say, well, obviously God's got a way that's best. And as we walk with God, you don't... And I would say that it takes all of the worry out of it. Our only concern at that point is to walk with God. Definitely. That's it. Walk with God and he'll take care of all that stuff. Trust him as you walk with him, as opposed to putting all the emphasis on my ability to choose. Lord knows I don't trust my ability to choose anything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. That was a a long one there. (laughs) That's an in-depth one. That was good, man. That was good. All right, right, Johnny. So uh, next question that I have is... uh, so we live in an age of social media and, you know, online interactions. Um, so, for example, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, this, those are ones that a lot of people have. And then we have, like, Tinder, Bumble, um, which are, like, dating apps. And, you know, we explained that to you earlier. <laughs> yeah. Because you didn't I know. I asked what's Tinder and what's <laughs> yeah. Bumble. Yeah. And so... Uh, I've heard of Timber, t- Tinder. <laughs> I've never heard of Bumble. Yeah, I think they're they're... Similar. That was a new one, didn't it? Um, but, uh, and since they're dating apps, I would say it's good that I don't know them. Yeah, uh, yeah, since yeah, I'm yeah. happily married. <laughs> yes. The difference is Bumble, the girl has to message the guy instead of the other way around. Yeah, which is just odd. 
Yeah, I agree. That's odd. But uh, are there any areas of social media we as Christian men should be cautious, or just Christians in general, um, should be cautious of or avoid altogether? Um, And if so, how do we best do that? Mm. So social media is like like the internet, like TV, right? It's, It's amoral, meaning it's not immoral and it's not moral. It's what we do with it that determines whether or not it's moral or immoral. I think our approach to social media, um, you know, I want to back up again and rather than just taking a a human philosophical approach as to how far is too far and how much is too much, we say, well, what should we, how should we approach everything from a godly perspective? One is we manage our time and our money because we're stewards of that. The most precious resource we have is our time. And I think most People spend way too much time on social media. Amen. Way too much time. Um, you know, I, I think that our all of our relationships with God would be would grow exponentially today if we just spent the time that we spend on social media with the Lord. I think we'd also be more productive in life if we'd spend those things <laughs> rather than seeing what bag of chips someone ate today for lunch. <laughs> oh yeah. We can. Uh, we can. You know walk with God or apply ourselves to school in y'all's case or whatever else. And so I think the healthy approach to these is to, number one, steward your time. Most of them are free, right? So you're you're not really talking as much about money. But you need to steward your time. You need to steward your time well. And then secondly, you approach it um, like it's a platform, which it is. It's supposed to be a platform, right? So... On a platform, you want to honor God, and you want to make sure you don't act in an ungodly way. Gossip is always ungodly, if it's one-on-one or if it's one to the whole world through your social media platform. And I mentioned this in a sermon, that never in the history of the world has, has just the average person, in our case the average dude, had the ability to express themselves and their thoughts and their opinions and their perspectives to the entire world. You used to actually have to build an audience, and the way that you built an audience was because you thought really well, or maybe you thought just incredibly stupidly, and people wanted to hear just how stupid you were, but they could at least recognize, well, I just go to that guy because he's so stupid. I want to hear what he says next, right? <laughs> but you had to say something worth saying, and you would build this platform. You would build this influence. Now you have influence simply because you have influence. It's the Kardashian. They're famous because they're famous. They've contributed nothing <laughs> until they got famous, and now they've got everything, clothes and jewelry. There's no telling what all they have, right? But they're famous for being famous. They contribute nothing to our society, I would say. Um, and so we need to steward that well. It would be like any conversation, right? We want to honor the Lord. And we want to say good things in a conversation. And we can use these platforms. I don't mean you you can only quote scripture all the time. I just mean don't gossip. Don't slander. Don't say something, uh, you know, in keeping with Philippians 4.29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouth. But only what is good for edifying. Edifying the church, edifying believers. We need to encourage people, build, build each other up through these social media platforms. As far as the dating apps, I don't even know how to answer that. I'll be honest with you. Um, 
there was a time I, I knew this guy who met his wife uh, through internet dating. Christian Mingle. <laughs> Maybe I can't. I don't know how old that is. It, it might have been something. Was there something before Christian Mingle? I don't know. Maybe don't Farmers, know. Only Farmers Only or something. <laughs> <laughs> I still think that's a parody. When I see the commercial, I think that can't yeah, be true, yeah. man. Can't there can't be that many farmers out there. <laughs> that many country people. Uh, it may. Maybe it was Christian Mingle, but it was fascinating to talk with him and to realize how their relationship began, and it began through dialogue. It was not about the physical part. It was about combat compatibility, right? They just had honest conversations, in-depth conversations. And from that, they then said, you know, we're compatible enough. We kind of like, like talking to each other enough that we should meet. And it removed a lot of the physical out of it. I, at that time, I would have said, man, internet dating is garbage. <laughs> After talking to him, I thought, well... It's a lot healthier than most, you know, than 75% of the way people approach dating. Because hmm. um, at least you're talking to each other and building the relationship on something that's more than just, oh, she's pretty. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I want to hang out with her. Why? Because she's pretty. <laughs> hey, we're dudes. So that's part of it. Right. There is the physical attraction. I don't think that's ungodly. I think that's the way God wired us. And that's important for us to realize if you're not attracted to the person physically. Well, that's that's going to impact the relationship, especially for guys. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not completely removing that. What I'm saying is, because we're guys, it's really difficult for us to get past that. And so, if if there is a way that you can kind of set that to the side for a little while, and see if you're compatible, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Hmm. And I don't think these dating apps are immoral. I'm, I mean, I'm, I don't know anything about them, so they could be. The the dating app where they were going after married guys, that was obviously immoral. Um, but yeah. if they're not for married people and they're not a front for something that's ungodly or immoral, you know, if they're just innocently trying to connect single people to one another so that they can find love and move towards marriage, um, then... It probably is up to the people engaging in that as to whether it's moral or immoral. And so that would go back to the person, walk with God, approach God in a healthy and godly way. Talk to her as she's a sister in Christ. You're getting to know her, right? Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know enough about them. But I, don't, I, I usually don't like to just throw out blanket statements and say, well, it's always bad or it's always good. Usually it's what we do with it that determines whether or not it's bad or it's good. Gotcha. Okay. <coughs> so my question is more directed towards you and your personal experiences. Um, so, you know, everyone, everyone around this table besides you, obviously, uh, is in their early 20s. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you could go back in time to when you were 21, 22, and tell yourself one thing about manhood, uh, what would that be? And would oh, that have wow. changed anything in your life? Uh, at that point. Oh, wow. That's a good question. That man. is a good question. Um, if I could tell myself, I think what, I think what began to shape me as a man mm -hmm. was when I realized the responsibility I have as a man. Wow. And 
not just the responsibility I have as a man, and, and part of this is connected to that concept that there's a responsibility as a man, is that I have responsibilities as a man that I wouldn't have as a woman. There's a difference between men and women. There's a difference between masculinity, femininity, manhood, and womanhood. And because culture is constantly trying to pressure us into, into not being a man, there's an assault, there's a war on men. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Definitely. And with this sense of having a responsibility as a man, that there's a freedom with that to figure out what it means to be a man and to live as a man. When I was no longer shackled with this, oh, well, you have to always be nice. You have to always be some feminine characteristics that are overlaid onto men. I'm not saying men are jerks, <laughs> but I'm saying uh, men, we're not just told, it's not just biblical to be nice. When Jesus calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, he's not being a nice guy. Right. When he's clear in the temple, he's not being a nice guy. <laughs> so <laughs> when you're free to say, okay, I am to live as a man, I have responsibilities as a man, then you're free to begin to explore what it means to be a man. And I would have liked to start that journey earlier. I started in my mid-20s. I would have mm -hmm. loved to start it in college or right out of college as opposed to when I did right. because I, would, I think I would rescue several years to where I was not living as a man because I didn't feel this freedom and responsibility. And I, I, I think those two words are important. Right. That we would be free to live as men as opposed to women. We're not women, is what I mean. Be free to live as a man, but also to be responsible mm. with what it means to be a man. That's the advice that I would That's go good. back and give That's myself. Good. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right, well, I got a question. So um, when you look in a lot of uh, mainstream Christianity, uh, a lot of the popular like pastors and leaders, uh, a lot of them I see falling away, whether it be sexual sin, whether it be other different things. What do you think has caused this to happen? Um, and what are things that men today that aren't in those roles yet um, should be aware of from preventing this from happening? So what, what do I see are the, some of the main causes yes. of the Christian leaders falling away? Yes. Um, I would agree with C.S. Lewis, which is always safe territory, um, <laughs> that pride is that, it's that undergirding vice. Every sin flows out of pride. The danger that I see now um, is that we have such a thing as a Christian celebrity. And rather than, the, most of the guys that are doing this tend to be under, they, they usually are under 40. Um, not always, they're usually under 40. Um, the big names. And what I see is that they get a large platform um, and their platform is is more than their character can handle. And I get that from a preacher that I, I won't name. He said this. He had a bit of a, a failure himself. And he talked about how his talent took him further than his character uh, was developed at that point. And so I think the danger that we find here is we just, 
we give guys some opportunities to, uh, to be bigger than their character should allow. And we find this truth in Scripture that these, I mean, these guys are, are living with Christ, demonstrating faithfulness over a period of time. Um, and while I would have loved to be a number one podcast preacher at the age of 25, <laughs> I would have wrecked everything because we're just not made to be celebrities. We're just not made to have these large platforms. Anytime you stand in front of people and they give you their attention, it is a, a boost to your pride. Yeah. The danger of that is if you don't have your pride in check, if you're not regularly trying to control your pride, you will fall. You will fall. It's not if, it's just, it's when. And so we need to not be so quick to take someone who hasn't demonstrated faithfulness over a, a season, and then we put them in the position to where they're speaking on all matters um, with just absolute authority when they just kind of need some wisdom and they need some time to work through the level of temptation that their platform is going to give them. Mm. Um, and it all goes back to the issue of character. We tend to hire based on competency. We tend to celebrate people based on competency. When 1 Timothy 3, when it talks about the elder, when it talks about the deacons, when we look in Scripture, what they celebrate is character. There are a lot of gifted people that don't have character. They should not be in a position of leadership. And when we hire, I think any, in any way, for any job, we should hire for character. Because if you're a high-character person, there is no ceiling, none. What I mean is you're going to work hard, you're going to be humble, you're going to be teachable, and you're going to continue growing until you die. If you're a low-character person, you're not going to work hard, you're not going to be humble, and so you might be supremely talented, but in 10 years, the high-character guy is going to be better at even that skill, I would say, because they've continued to develop. So we want to constantly focus on the competency and the talent. We need to prioritize, give back to character. At the root of this, why are these guys falling? Is because they stopped walking with Jesus. Amen. And they stop walking with Jesus for a reason. That reason is probably because of pressure to perform and pride because of their performance. If they would walk with Jesus, they will not. Jesus is not going to lead them into sin. He's not going to lead them towards sin. As they walk with Jesus, they'll move away from sin. They'll be able to deal with these temptations. So at the, at the root of all of it, at the core of all of it, and this is for all of us, not just those in those, you know, more celebrated or elevated positions. Walk with Jesus. Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Spend time around Christians every day. Have some Christians to call you out and say, you know what, man, you're kind of acting like a jerk. <laughs> you're probably acting like a jerk because you think you're somebody. Stop that, right? right. Uh, we need to have those people in our lives. Right. That's just, that's the basics, if a dude's not doing the basics, he doesn't need to be in front of people. Right. So that was a long answer when I could have just said, walk with Jesus. <laughs> when it was helpful. Yeah. It was helpful. Um, I don't have a question, but time-wise, <laughs> how are you? Uh, 
I'm okay. I don't know if we want to. I guess we can do one more round of questions. All right, we'll do one more round. How about that? All right. Um, So I've got one about uh, money and one about fitness. Which one would you rather answer right now? Wow, money and fitness. Yeah. important thing. Give me both (laughs) of them, and we'll see which one. Both of them? Okay. So uh, the, 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 the money one's a little bit longer. Culture puts a big emphasis on money, so like making money, saving money, spending money, borrowing it. Um, and we as men, maybe not even Christian men, have been historically labeled, uh, you know, breadwinners in a family model. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on biblical, you know, head of household, bringing home the dough manliness? Yeah. And do you have any advice on borrowing and saving money, like either for school, mortgage, car, you know, whatever? Um, that's that's the money one. And then, okay. uh, so the fitness one is, uh, you know, fitness is a Christian man. What should we be striving for? You know, like a six pack, or <laughs> oh, should we just yeah. be should we just be maintaining? You know, the body's the body is a temple, and yeah. so you know, what what should we as men be be doing, if anything? Yeah. So. Let's do the second one because right. along the way in talking about manhood, we'll talk about <coughs> excuse me the role of the man uh, as the worker, mm. and so I'll I'll talk about that uh, at some point, and I'll be able to you know lay the biblical foundation for that, which uh, it's always good, right? So to talk about the physical part because I think this is a this is an aspect of manhood that we minimize. Men are very different than women physically. I mean, very different. both of y'all are in biology. MC over here is exercise science. So, I mean, this is y'all's field. Y'all get it. You're interdisciplinary studies. We don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> when you find out, let me know. <laughs> so, so y'all know that men and women are very different biologically. If we believe that God created and designed us, then we believe he has a purpose in mind behind that design. And there's an aspect of what it means to be a man that is physical. And I think we do ourselves an injustice when we don't at least explore that. And y'all sitting around this table know that part of my journey in manhood was, you know, the more more I studied it, you see how different men are than women. And I know that we kind of know this, but when you see the statistics and muscle mass and heart-lung capacity and all of these things, you go, wow, it's, it's very different. Not only that, um, but dudes really like to watch guys fight. And women don't particularly like that. Uh, it, it's, it's fascinating. My two boys, I have a five- and a three-year-old boys. If I'm watching a boxing match, they are enthralled. They want to watch it. Uh, they, they love to box. My daughter if she sees a boxing match come on, she hides her head and she says, oh, daddy, you know I can't watch that. It's, it's not that I've said she shouldn't. She's just meaning I, I don't want to watch that. I, I shouldn't watch that. Um, and men, I, I think uh, it was a guy on ESPN who said it, men, we're just prone to, like a, to watch a good fight. If you put, he talked about it, if you put on, on an intersection, if you have a, a football game on one side, basketball on one side, pick a sport, baseball, soccer, whatever on the other side. And then on the other side, you have two dudes fighting. All the men are going to go watch those two dudes fighting. It, it's just, it, it's innate almost. And throughout the history of the world, men have just been prone to fight and to watch fighting. So there's this physical aspect of that. 
And so for me, I wanted to explore that, and that's why I got into boxing. Uh, it, it wasn't only because I needed physical exercise and couldn't get in a team sport way, but there was just this sense of manliness that was connected to fighting. The only way that I could really go down the rabbit hole, for me, research-wise, was to just get in there and do it. And so that's why I started boxing. Um, and I, I don't think that we can fully live as men if we're not allowing ourselves to be as physically um, dominant as we can be. And I don't mean necessarily dominant over another person. I mean to really explore who we are as men, to explore our capabilities physically. It, it does something. When you challenge yourself physically as a man, I think it opens you up to what it means to be a man. Definitely. Um, men, God's given us more muscles. And so I don't think we represent God well if we have if we're filled with fat. Yeah. I don't think that. We even have a term for it, right? Oh, he's soft. <laughs> well, it comes from the idea of physically soft. Right. Meaning mm -hmm. he's not hard, he doesn't have muscle. He's soft. Mm -hmm. Which means he's less manly. And I think there's a reason for that. I, I think all men should should exercise, should work out, not only is it good for the the body, which is the temple of God. I think it honors God for us to do yeah. that physically. Yeah. I also think there's an element of manhood that uh, it just pops when you're doing things that are that are inherently um, more geared towards men, which we know physical activity. It's where we thrive, man. It's where we thrive, and we know this because. Even as women try to push themselves into um, the man's world, will know that they're serious when they begin arguing for no women's sports. Mm. They won't do that, but we know that they'll, they're they're really serious that men and women are equal in every possible way. When they say, "You know what? Our women will run against the men in the hundred meter dash." Until that day, they're not serious. They're not serious. They do not believe that women are equal to men in every way until the day they say, we'll put our best against your best, get on the line, run 100 meters. Or um, they're heavyweights and our heavyweights in a boxing <laughs> match, right? And now we can't talk about this stuff. This is taboo. But y'all yeah. in biology, it's so clear. It's science. Yeah. Right. We're not even talking about this is science. And so what I'm saying is just connect the science to the theology. If God designed us, he designed us for a reason. And so we need to explore that. Definitely. I'm in a sociology class, and it's called Marriage and the Family. And we had oh, an online heavens. forum, and it was talking about the nuclear family. And my viewpoint was that men and women are not interchangeable, that they're unique. And just even those things mm -hmm. was very offensive in my class. Yeah. And so. It was just interesting. And the problem with that is that we can't, we don't have the ability because of that to celebrate what women offer. Um, the, the danger of the, the feminist movement is the third wave feminism, which says, or well, really the second wave began this, that they wanted women not just to be free, to be equal to men, but they wanted women to act like men. That's the problem. We don't need women to act like men, especially bad men. Right. Meaning you can just, you know, free sex, 
casual sex, like that's what they they converted femininity into is that you can have casual sex, not suffer the consequences because you can get an abortion. Hmm. That's what second wave feminism did. Now, third wave feminism is making it even worse. Um, but man, my wife is so much better at certain things than I am. And so if I have if I have to be convinced that we're the same, I don't get to celebrate those dis- those differences in her. That's true. And that's a that's a shame. Physical is part of it, but emotional. My wife is much more emotionally in tune, which my kids desperately need. Um, so they need both, and it's a shame that we can't celebrate that. So my question, it's a kind of more of an opinion question, <coughs> kind of like the last one, but. Uh, so, in your opinion, what is the most important virtue a godly man should be working on daily, you know, no matter what? Um, and then, and if you can't choose one, maybe like, you know, two or three. But if you just had like one that you could focus on daily for a man, what would that be? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so, I'll say in general, just walking with God. Amen. Obviously, yeah. that covers a lot. Definitely. Um, we wouldn't call that a virtue. We would just call that discipleship. Right. Just being a follower of Christ. So the one that, that immediately came to my mind is courage. courage yeah. And courage is not, of course, y'all know this, courage is not that you're never afraid. It's that you do what's right even when you're afraid. Right. Uh, particularly now, we need more men with courage. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked about men without chests, mm. meaning men who live without courage. And he said, we, we need more men with chests. We need more men who will do what's right even when it's not popular. And even when it's just incredibly difficult. And that's courage will, I believe, enable you to exercise more of these virtues. You can't, you can't live virtue, a virtuous life without courage. Right. And, uh, and I think that we should look for ways to demonstrate courage. You know, and stretch ourselves. Challenge ourselves. One of those ways is physically. Mentally, emotionally, we should constantly be challenging ourselves. And it takes courage because the last thing we want to do is fail. Right. And so if we put ourselves in a position in which we might could fail, that is, it's, we're, we're, it's scary. And so courage is each day doing something that challenges us to step outside of what's easy. Um. And it takes, for, for you guys, man, living for Christ in a, in a student or college environment, living for Christ as a single man, every day you are, you are pressed to take the cowardly way out, to look at what you shouldn't look at, to think about what you shouldn't think about, to talk in a way you shouldn't talk, to go where you shouldn't go. You, you just list all the ways to take the cowardly way out. But God's called us to live courageously. Amen. And to develop, to develop that each and every day, to live with courage, uh, to be men with chests. That's a good, yeah. that's a good <laughs> stopping point. Do you have one more? I did. Okay. All right. So um, two-thirds of career missionaries are married couples, and the remaining one-third is single women, with a very small fraction being single men. Mm -hmm. So why 
do you think women, single women especially, are more willing to go to the nations than single men? And what can be done to change that? Oh, man, that's the question. The second yeah. part is the question, what can be done to change that? Um, so I'm going to name drop here. Uh, when I was at seminary, we had Nick, Nick Ripkin come in, and Nick Ripkin actually taught my class for me. Of course, Nick was a uh, you know, great guy, wrote The Insanity of God, Insanity of Obedience. Highly recommend those books. But he talked about that. I mean, he had an hour in my class, and that's what he talked about. He talked about them having more women, that are ready to go serve in missions in very difficult settings. Uh, when it would be easier for for men, I mean, there was a, a young lady that would go out and do door to door evangelism with us in New Orleans, and she ended up going to um, going to Iraq, and she had to flee when ISIS started coming in. She was like five miles from ISIS when they were wow, killing people, dude. chopping off heads, and she didn't really want to flee, but the IMB kind of forced her to. Yeah. Well, she's ministering with a full burqa, it's, it would be much easier for a man to minister in that context. Absolutely. But the men aren't there. And so Nick Ripkin was talking about this. Now, he didn't have an answer, and I don't have a clear answer. Other than, I think I would say that I feel like there are probably two reasons. Uh, one, well, we'll go into a lot more of these over the, you know, the episodes. But one is... Um, that I don't think we have a church culture that encourages men to engage in church. Um, we Christianity is seen as something that's feminine, and so we're just not engaging men to the level that we are women. Sixty-five percent of our congregations are women. Um, it, it's just this, a stat that is true of Christianity that's not true of other religions. Men are not engaging in Christianity because they see it as a feminine religion, and that is incredibly dangerous. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that more at a later point. Got tons of stats that can support that. So if we have less men engaged, we're obviously going to have less men on mission. Um, and also, men are more concerned about building their kingdom than they are the kingdom. So that would be the second part of that. God has wired us to be builders as opposed to managers. That's why it's so necessary to have men engaged in church because we're not just wanting to hold hands and sing Shout to the Lord together. Uh, I don't know why that song. It's a good song. <laughs> but we want, to, we want to build. We want to attack the gates of hell and build the kingdom of God. God's wired us for that. Well, we're misappropriating that. We're trying to build our own kingdoms um, because we're, we've grown up like that, you know, where we need to get a good job so that we can make money. Not we need to understand what God has gifted us to do so that we can apply that to honor God and to build his kingdom as we do that. Um, so we're very self-focused. We're very self-centered. I think our women, in an effort to try to find themselves and how they fit into culture, um, and they're already more engaged in church, they're willing to take these opportunities to go overseas when men are more focused on building their own kingdoms. And we don't have time to, we don't have time to quote-unquote waste on doing something else, right? right? So we need to engage our men in church more, and we need to help men understand that God's wired them to build, and they need to apply that to building the kingdom, not just their kingdom. 
I, I, don't, I need to think through that more, though. I like, that's a good question. Y'all have had some good questions. You so, get some good answers, man. Well, <laughs> I feel like I rambled a lot, but hopefully there was. Hopefully we can dig in there and find some nuggets along the way. Yeah, definitely. Nuggets. Definitely. Michael, you got anything else for us as we close, man? Nope. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> a man of many words. <laughs> well, I thank you guys for coming, man. We're definitely gonna have you back. Good questions, um, good discussions, and hopefully it sparks more discussions. I. For example, the conversation on the one. I think we need to have those conversations more. We need to help each other think more about how do we approach dating, marriage, life, mission, you know, um, every aspect of life as dudes, as men. So this is helpful, and I hope it's helped all of those who might listen to this. Um, Certainly grateful for all those who've been listening. I want to encourage you to keep listening. Uh, we'll keep putting them out and keep having these guys and others come in and engage in some conversations that hopefully build up the church. So thanks for listening to uh, this episode of The Watchman's Soul, and uh, join us next time.